Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 149, Brienne 7, In A Feast for Crows. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Once again, we are joined by Dog this episode. Well, not actual dog. I'm not pet sitting a dog. I just meant the spirit of dog in these chapters. The spirit of dog. Why are you trying to say dog died? No, Jesus. you tried to pull that off. Like, no, dog's alive. I did. You all, last week I was like, wait, shit, is dog dead? Uh, did I forget if dog lived or died? And I had to look it up. Dog is still alive. Not that dog. Hallelujah. World is saved. But I was very worried. I was like, are we going to have to eulogize dog at the end of this? Oh, A dog POV chat? <gasps> Ooh. Anyways. <laughs> I mean, maybe we'll get one of those or something similar, right? In the winds of winter. Maybe like a Dogs of Aeswath. What if we just do a Dogs episode for your birthday? Oh, interesting. That's a thought. <laughs> I think the horses would be better, mm. but... Or we could pick something else That would be entirely. fun, too. I don't know. We'll see. My birthday's We have to bring on some now. of our horse friends, you know? Yeah, my birthday's, like, in four years from now, you know? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, hello. We're excited to be doing this chapter because it is one of the greats, right? It this is. is. This is a chilling... It's yeah. so short. The buildup is so fast, and the end is crazy. It is like a a kick ass chapter. Yeah, it is. It is. And honestly, with all the action in this chapter, like if you read all the Brienne chapters together as we have, it makes sense. The whole flow of everything and this being like the action packed climax, it all makes sense. I know people are like, it, nothing honestly, happens in Brienne chapters, and like, shut the fuck up. No, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, honestly, it's one of the tightest arcs. Mm-hmm. Like, if you follow from one to eight, it is the tightest chapter delivery. Uh, it starts off, it tells you everything you need, right? You start off, you're on the night errant errand. You're being told, Brienne grew up in this manner. This is how yeah. she has now gone out into the world. And then you get kind of the crises that are being presented of what she cares about, what she internally wants, and what the people around her want, and how mm-hmm. that affects Brienne. And I, I just think it's so tight, and this chapter is the perfect climax, right? Like, ultimate climax before next chapter, which is like an underworld chapter. It's very spooky, mm. very creepy, and I'm excited because we're bringing on a good friend to talk about it with. By Donica, who is an amazing artist, is going to be our guest for our final Brienne chapter that's coming out next month, which is going to be out January 14th for public 2022. Yes. 2022. Crazy. But By Donica is an amazing artist. Amazing artist. A proclaimed Jamie and Brienne fan. You know, we have to let them have a little bit this arc a little bit got to give them a little bit so do we only give them a little we give we give i think a lot because we ourselves we're giving to ourselves too i'm very excited to have by donica on and i mean i'm always excited for all of our guests and i know we've had a strong run this brienne these brienne chapters yeah, and shiloh sam low and now by donica to close it out yeah i've really enjoyed having all of them on and yeah, I don't know. I think Bidonica's a perfect person to close it out with. I'm excited to hear her point of view on a lot of this and a lot of the Underworld chapter. Absolutely. And and as you said, amazing artist and illustrator. And I'm glad that she could find the time to come 
hang and talk for Yan with us. Always love, like, I mean, I think there's a different way of interpreting things, right? Like, we saw one interpretation of Brienne from the book on the screen, and there's always something of, like, how, how you, the reader, are envisioning that, and you get to see, you know, really by Donica's view of Brienne through her art. So, very excited. If you're sitting around online looking for something to look at this holiday season, check out Bidonica's yeah. Twitter, at Bidonica1. We point. will link that below in the description. But she has a one of those like link tree things that you can click, and it takes you all over to her art. We'll link her art, too. She has done this awesome Theon study uh, mm. where she penned out Theon's Clash arc and on, and uh, it's really impressive. you got to take a look at it. Yes. Well... What else are we bringing all of you, right? I mean, this actually, you might be like, oh, no, we're not going to have any Girls Gone canon until 2022. But wait, there's more. Kind of. <laughs> there is. Well, while Brienne's chapters will be ending next month, there's a new journey that's going to begin. A new journey. A new we're hope. taking you all on. We're doing Star Wars. A new Wars. hope. Oh my god. We're doing Star Wars. <laughs> we're not doing Star no, Wars. Oh my god. We're not. I have mental health. We just to do care a Dune about. episode instead. Yeah, I'm like, mean. I care about <laughs> my sanity. I love Star Wars, uh, just not to cover. <laughs> but we are doing a new POV. We we will be back with a new point of view. So keep an ear out for that. If you are a patron, you'll slowly start to see that rolled out depending on your tier. We start to early reveal. I think this week we're going to start early revealing for our Zorse tier. And we'll move on down with the Chestnut, Sweetfoot, Lightning, Stranger, all, all, all those guys. We'll get down there. You'll, you'll get it. You'll get the new POV reveal. And I can't wait for you to find out what it is. And there's other stuff at yes. patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, even if you're just like a stranger to your patron, you know, there's a lot going on. But on Patreon, we also have another kind of different new POV. It's Patroclus <laughs> from <laughs> the Song of Achilles. Patroclus, um, I guess. I, I'll figure out the pronunciation eventually. But yes, we are. That That is our new POV. Very briefly. <laughs> Our new POV, yes, in Greek mythology. Yeah, we're doing a Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller this month over at Patreon for our patrons in the Stranger tier and above. And I do have to say, Madeline Miller also just announced that she's doing oh, a Persephone really? book. Yeah, oh, like wow, two days damn. ago. Yo. You know I'm lit right now, right? I'm like, yeah, sad girls for Persephone. We're out here. Wow. We're excited. Bust out the pomegranates, everyone. Good time to do it, too. We'll probably cover that one, too. Yeah, you and I, you and I, we are recording this on the winter solstice. So what a time. Yeah. Yeah, Persephone it up. Release yeah. that pomegranate. Not Bowen Marsh. Different pomegranate. Yeah, no, not that pomegranate. Um, I do like pomegranates, though. Just in general. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. I, Annoying, I, though, because it's gotten, a lot of work. Yeah, I would have gotten trapped in the underworld. I would have been like, fuck yeah, I love pomegranates. Fuck, <laughs> 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 grow up! <laughs> uh, I'm worried, because you could be kidnapped real easy. I know, so, I'm like, let's invite strangers, dogs, of course. Dogs, pomegranates? Yeah, I'll eat strange food. Anyways, no, please nobody do this to me and don't kidnap eliana please my <laughs> please god please do not please my children they're hungry yeah if you wanted to hang out benignly you can do so on the internet on discord 
Patrons over in the Thunder tier and above have access to our Discord, where we hang out, we chat. Once a month, we do a brunch slash happy hour with get-to-know-yous and icebreaker games. It's really fun. We have a great time over there discussing everything, not just A Song of Ice and Fire, other books, other shows, including his Dark Materials, right? The other series that we do cover, which we do want to put out there that we will not have an episode of His Dark Materials to close out 2021. However, we'll return with the Amber Spyglass the first week of the new year. So if you're looking for those episodes in your feeds, keep an eye peeled for that. We'll be back with our friend Cassidy to cover the next few chapters. Yes! We are going to soar into the new year, fly into the new year with our good friend Cassidy, who loves birds in the way that I love dogs. Actually, no, way more. Cassidy's, like, actually an expert on birds. I, like, I'm like, yeah, I'm, this is a fluffy dog. I mean, that's expertise in its own <laughs> way, but absolutely. So that's how we're going to kick off. I'm excited. I'm very thrilled. Very thrilled about that. Love Cassidy. Love birds. Love HDM. Orbs. Good stuff. Yeah. Read his dark materials. If you're looking for something to read this holiday season, you've already read A Song of Achilles and you're caught up for the Patreon episode. Read his dark materials. I beg you. It's great. It's really great. There's a His Dark Materials trilogy, right? Which is the one that came out long ago during my youth. And now there is a current like sequel series, sandwich series, right, of the Books of Dust. And the third book of Dust is I it's around the corner. I'm pretty sure. Like there's they're putting things out. Feels like gears are turning, is oh, yeah. what I've heard. Um that's been a buzz. We've had a thing for webinars during the pandemic. And the big last webinar I attended with Pullman on it, or an interview he was doing, he said he was in the hundreds page-wise on that last book. So, yeah, a lot. And of it has a great, faithful yeah. adaptation. A very yeah. faithful TV adaptation exists. I think on it's HBO, yeah, mostly actually. very faithful. Yeah, yeah, or BBC yeah. if you are across the pond. You know, from the homeland mm. of the His Dark Materials books. Unlike, I mean, George R. R. Martin, you know, he's American. He's one of ours. <laughs> one for each. One yeah. for each. All right. Well, that is our housekeeping for this episode for Brienne 7. Let's jump on into our lightning round. Eliana, what did we miss between Brienne 6 and Brienne 7 in A Feast for Crows? We missed... Circe 7. Circe allows Loras to lead a dragonstone against Marjorie's protests. Later, she gives Felice to Kyburn. Jamie 5. Jamie listens to hard truths from both his cousin Davin and Aunt Jenna. We have this new character, Cat of the Canals. By day, she sells clams. By night, she sells secrets. Arya takes revenge against a brother of the Watch. Returning to the House of Black and White, and then wakes without vision. Samwell 4. A rum-filled eulogy leads Sam and Gilly to celebrate life together. Cersei 8. Cersei remembers a prophecy told long ago by Maggie the Frog, and hatches a new plan to rid herself of her Tyrell daughter-in-law. I just have to add, and as a side there, that I love the beginning of Cersei there, of Cersei 7, that, you know, she's like, yeah, take Felice. I never want to see her again, Kyburn. And then the very end of Cersei 8, she's like, wait, so is it, like, too late to use Felice for my own bidding? And Kyburn's like, girl, it was too late, like, that night. What are you doing? What are you doing, Cersei? She was Killing gone me. the moment Killing you me. gave, yeah. 
You gave her Gone. away. <laughs> God. How do you think this works? God. That brings us to Brienne Seven in A Feast for Crows. Wow. Seven, Brienne thought again, despairing. She had no chance against Seven, she knew. No chance and no choice. I never even clocked that all of that language comes here in the seventh chapter. <sighs> Interesting. Beautiful. Poetry. A mile from the crossroads, they come across a corpse, hanging from a dead tree with lightning scars across it. The crows had eaten his face, the wolves his legs, and the block of salt is in the corpse's mouth. What imagery? The crows had eaten his face, the wolves his legs, a block of salt in his mouth. Uh, I think this is some very obvious retribution for two things. Not only is it retribution for what has happened at salt pans, but also... Uh, for guest right at the Red Wedding, right? It's a, it's also guest right at the Red Wedding. We see that there's Lannisters and wolves and fray outfits amongst this crowd as we go on. And it's kind of not just punishment and retribution, but it's also a warning, right? Mm. When we see how these orphans and how the Brotherhood Without Banners have kind of propped open and created their own economy, their own little world in the middle of war, in the middle of all this desolation, this is a warning sign to deter people from the inn, a line of defense, not unlike the snowmen, right, uh, in Castle Black, uh. the snowmen on the walls, but this is to deter people from the inn where the last defense is these children with crossbows and gendry. That's a great comparison, the snowmen. I forgot about that. And also, I think this explanation makes a lot of sense, because I was wondering, like, why are they putting just blocks of salt in these corpses' mouths, right? For it to be a message regarding the salt pans, and and as you pointed out, the guests right at the red wedding with that, like, salt and bread. Because I was like, that's, that's kind of expensive, probably. Like, salt is a sought-after commodity. Yeah, especially with winter coming on and the yeah. harvest being over. Like, there's yeah. no more harvest. You have to preserve what you have left. It, it Not only is it salt in the mouth, like, awful. I mean, like, a horrible thing, right? Uh, and imagery-wise for the betrayal. But also, yeah, this is right now you need that salt. So you're actually being so petty purposefully yeah. in this moment, right? Like, you're paying for pettiness. Absolutely. It's insane. Yeah. So, very interesting. Sent a message. It absolutely does, as we see in this chapter. And regarding messages just for the reader, I wonder if, like, the dead tree covered in lightning scars, right? It it, it kind of is a little reminiscent of Beric, our lightning lord. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. It is. It is. And I love that that's, like, especially when we have these weirwoods and alongside this originally with feast and dance having originally been joined you get to think about theon a lot in this chapter there's mm. a lot of theon chapters reflecting here theon dance chapters are just all over this to me this here chapter so that scarred tree representing Beric, and then thinking of like the weirwood and bran and blood raven and their weirwood being the bodied tree as well i love it i love that Beric yeah. is sitting over all of this 100 percent Heil checks out the corpses, and he comes back with a half-helm. He offers it to Podrick, who's squeamish, and he complains the helm has worms in it. Heil's like, you're squeamish as a girl, shut up, Heil, saying, worms wash out, and Brienne scowls at him. We are all scowling at Heil, but also, it's funny that he says that, because it reminds me a little bit of Arya, right? Because 
saying that Pod is squeamish as a girl just because he doesn't want to be around worms. I'm like, well, we know a little girl who's like, hell yeah, worms, I'm going to eat it. And Is it Arya or is it Chloe? No one knows. Yeah, I'm like, worms. This is how you get trapped in the underworld, Arya. Don't don't just eat things. <laughs> I didn't really think about that with the kindly man, but the the hell, yeah. I mean, the fact that there's like a skull still in it, exactly uh, being eaten by the worms. There's so much death imagery that, and later we get the mm-hmm. maggot color of uh, the maggot white of Rorge's face. Yeah, Ugh. right. Ugh. Ew, so gross. The worms are all over this chapter. Mm-hmm. After all of this little exchange, hardly a hundred y- yards go by without a corpse, and each wears a noose of hemp and rope, and each has a block of salt in its mouth. Some are cloaked in gray, blue, crimson, faded by the rain and sun. Some have badges, axes, arrows, salmon, pine tree, oak leaf, beetles, bantams, boars, boar's head, tridents. And Brienne realizes that, oh, these are all the broken men. Swollen in death, faces gnawed and rotten. They all looked the same. On the gallows tree, all men are brothers. Brienne had read that in a book, though she could not recall which. It's a great follow-up to the chapters we just came from of the Quiet Isle, where all of the men were buried together, regardless of their allegiances in life. But it's also interesting context when you put it alongside these ongoing discussions about like the maesters right and and allegedly giving up their stations in life and becoming all like one and part of this order in the complimentary book to a feast for crows a dance of dragons and also in regards to what's going on with the night's watch i didn't really think about the night's watch in this and now that i think about it a little bit more it does the intentional placement of these men being hanged with the salt in their mouths it reminds me a little bit of John, as these character arcs are aligning in similar areas in some aspects, choosing to hang the men at the wall, and then changing to sword for Janos. And that key kind of difference in specifically choosing to hang people, and then changing your mind saying, no, sword, and, and what a sword death means versus a gallows death. Hmm. I think there's a lot of, especially for Brienne, who has a lot of choices she's making and a lot of choices she doesn't have to make because they are made in the moment for her in this chapter that intentional killing and it also brings to mind another book that kind of runs Hmm. parallel right to this book in some aspects which Hmm. is the sworn sword right duncan egg there's a lot of gallows talk throughout duncan egg and there's this one line i'll talk a little more about duncan egg and gallows later but there is this one line that I find interesting, where Egg says, the king's law gives lords the power of pit and gallows on their own lands. And we see uh, Rowan Weber have to execute, haha, no pun intended, that, and utilize that uh, against Osgrey on her lands. And as we watch these children, these orphans, and Gendry and the like, kind of protecting them, and then the Brotherhood as the outer ring of protection, you kind of see that they've created their own lands, like I said, their own system, Mm. their own kind of lordships. They're all little lords and ladies with the brotherhood as their protection and their seven gods around them, their lord of light. Uh, I think that's interesting that they're kind of carving out and creating what they can of this destruction and desolation as their own home and their own system and their own laws with power of pit and gallows going on. Yeah, that is really interesting, and they also get to choose like who, who they'll allow to stay here, right? Who they'll give quarter to, and who they won't. So I, I really like that interpretation of 
them kind of having ownership over this place. It's really sad that they have to because they are like literally children. But um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and something else I realized as I was like reading through this again, and then coming back to the point you're saying about it sends a message and and all these hanging, these hanged men. Right, reminds me a little of what the masters did, and then what Daenerys does in response with the crucifying of those people. That's interesting because I was also thinking. A lot of these chapters end in the feast dance area in such similar, like you have that fire and ice in each ending. You have mm. Quentin dying with the O. Yeah, yeah. You have uh, corpses are really littering a lot of this. And it made me think of Barristan at the end of dance with the corpses being thrown over the wall. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Marine. Like mm-hmm. this is not unlike that in some aspects. Like this is kind of. This is the vibe Really now. gruesome messaging. Yeah, yeah, this is the vibe everywhere. In pl- yeah, this all over Planetos. Heil identifies these guys as the men who had raided salt pans, and Maribald says, may the father judge them justly. So it's good to see Septon Maribald show a little bit of that bite here, because he was sent, right? Or or the elder brother was like, "Um, you're going to have to go absolve Sir Quincy of his sins, because I couldn't do it. And as we know, Sir Quincy also bears culpability in the destruction that we're seeing right now, right? For his failure to protect the people at the salt pans. And so I kind of like this this character detail, this moment from Maribald where he's like showing that he too has it in him to be judgy. (laughs) Yeah. uh, There is like, it's interesting because he says, well, I'm off to do this. And the elder brother is very quick to show that spitefulness of like, well, that guy fucking sucked. So good luck with that job. I'm surprised you can do that. I wouldn't be going there. And the idea of like, there are better people to be helping. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Which I will say in some aspects, this brings us right back though to people like Sandor or Jamie, who were still worth helping, you know, even though Mm -hmm. they were seen as monsters for some of their really unforgivable crimes, like holding a knife to a girl's neck or, you know, throwing a kid out of a tower uh, i can see that these could be akin to each other right slicing micah yeah up his seams i get it i mean different people right have different things that they're willing to i guess look past forgive yeah forgive or whatever because yeah. i mean the elder brother Gloss over yeah the elder brother might not be able to forgive it but we're seeing brienne might be able to understand it too right like some of the things that you discuss yes um septon maribald can maybe find it in him to show mercy to these people but maybe but he cannot hear, right? Those who raided the salt pans, just as the elder brother cannot. And it's because, again, Mirabald has that personal connection with the Septon. So perhaps he wouldn't feel so strongly. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't, right? If it weren't for him mm-hmm. being so close to the Septon at the salt pan. So it's interesting how that perspective changes. Brienne, though, isn't so worried about who all of these men were but she is worried about uh who's going around hanging people who hanged them i do think you should wonder that brienne that does seem like a problem you would want to know about she had heard that the noose was beric dondarian's brand of execution and that he may be near dog and septon maribald seem anxious to move ahead and they put on some miles until the wood gives way to muddy fields and clouds of crows there's a brief moment though where heil hunt says that these are the kind of people most improved by death, and I do find that interesting in the context we were talking about forgiveness just now, in the context especially of the Hound, right, and this idea of second chances. Has the Hound, quote-unquote, being dead, uh, is he improved by that, right, by 
yeah, that second chance. Or even, as we see, Aaron Dampere, who's part of this story, Theon, and perhaps even soon, Brienne. That atonement and that, like you've been talking about the last couple of episodes, that chance at rehabilitation, right? Mm-hmm. Like Rebirth. changing those behaviors. And when we see through Mirabald and the elder brother, like not only changing those mm-hmm. uh, yeah. chances of rehabilitation that they would never get in a normal world of Westeros, like our everyday world of Westeros would not provide them that chance. So giving them that, will that improve them? It is an interesting, it reminds me a little bit of the nurture versus nature with Joffrey that Mm. we talked about before Yeah, on the cast a little, uh, just like, you know, if Joffrey's dad was not King Robert Baratheon and Queen Cersei Lannister, what could have been different? Probably Maybe even Jamie would have done a bang-up job, you know? I mean, <laughs> bang up. he already did a bang-up yeah. job. Uh, but maybe he would have done another bang-up job. <laughs> he, might, he was That's probably going to be better. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Just thoughts. Well, they come across more hanged men. Brienne, though, akin to what you were saying, says to herself, they were evil, but it still makes her feel sad. Hmm. She still feels sympathy and sorrow for them. None of these men have a hound's helm. Very few actually have helms at all. And I thought that was such a very quiet indicator, right, of of class for them, that few of them have helms. Few Mm. of them had any protection on the field. Uh, The helm that we do find is a Lannister helm. Mm. So it goes to show you who, I mean, think about what they have for war supplies, you know, when you get to the end of the line and they're out of helms, they're out of the good armor, they're out of good swords, not for the poor. So it's kind of just sad. They were just thrown into it. Absolutely. And it also gives you a sense of who the class as well, right? Of those who are stealing the helms. If any of them had helms and it's stolen because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as Brienne realizes, a lot of these are broken men, uh, as are those who are doing some yeah. of the hangings. It's it's an ongoing cycle. Just fucked up mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> <laughs> Podrick asks where they'll be staying for the night, and Maribald seizes on this pretty eagerly. He tells them they're staying at the Old Inn. Well, this is an inn with many names. The Many Named Inn. Raised during Jaehaerys' reign, it said he and Alysanne had slept here, and then it was called Two Crowns in their honor, until an innkeep built a belt tower, and it changed to the Bellringer Inn. Later, John Heddle, Long John Heddle, a crippled knight, took up the inn and ironworking. John forged a new sign, a three-headed black dragon of black iron. When the wind blew, it clanked, and so it was called the Clanking Dragon. So, I wanted to bring in something that we've actually learned from our other series, the historic materials read-through as well as slash this actually comes more from like the Book of Dust trilogy, where we learned a bit more about very, very old inns and establishments and namings. And it's kind of fun to see how the name of this place has evolved over time. It's the case for many establishments, right? Especially those that are like hundreds of years old or that have histories. For example, the book, the, there's a boat in the book La Belle Sauvage. Um, and that's named for an establishment that is called La Belle Sauvage. That um, if you do some research, we, we talked about it in one of our episodes of it used to maybe like look like this, right? Have an actual bell. Etc. So you can see how a lot of these places, they rely on objects and symbols to have its name recognized. And then that changes over and over, but it's very still tangible, right? It's bell and then Mm -hmm. a bell ringer, right? A sign with a dragon, clanking dragon, or 
two crowns. Maybe they used to have a picture of two crowns there or something, right? Like these are important markers for people to understand the names of places. And it's really important because few folks would have been literate. So it's got that mm -hmm. symbol to stand in there. But of course, there's that other aspect, right, um, that many have pointed out before us of the black dragon rusting and turning red uh, and how that might be a sort of hint towards Igan the Sixth's true colors. Yeah. <laughs> see his true colors. Um, wow, I actually, I didn't really think about this in this length i really love and i and i love that the Aegon six of course is such a great connection to draw this history to modern a song of ice and fire as well and i think there's something so great about the history of this inn as its names start to change and as like the ownership changes and your kind of talk of Aegon six made me think about stay with me we're gonna get a little symbolism tinfoil on this one okay uh is there is there almost some North foreshadowing in this? And why I think that? I do think there's a lot of Jaehaerys and Alysanne in what's going to happen in the North in the end and the true dream for spring, right? Of resettling <laughs> the gift that Jaehaerys and Alysanne had originally gifted haha, to the North. Um, so that's one thought I'm having. Two crowns. This is kind of a connection that I think I'm thinking mostly of because of the show and some of the costume design in having two wolves on Sansa's final crown in Rob's outfits with the two wolves and Bran, his mm -hmm. outfits with the wolves at the collarbone. There are two wolves uh, inside Just of kind you. of closing it mm -hmm. on each side of him. Yes, two wolves. <laughs> there are two but wolves yeah. <laughs> two crowns also makes me think about two swords, as in ice being split into oh, two swords. yes. And then you have the talk of the tower... And later, Long John Heddle, a crippled knight, uh, taking up the inn and ironworking. And I don't know, it just makes me think about possibly, like, resettling of the North, resettling of the gift. There's a lot of that that I'm thinking of this chapter. And, like you said, Aegon Six's true colors, mm. Jon Snow's true colors. Hmm. In reflection dragon. of that. Yeah. Um, the clanking dragon, you know, I... I just like that just remind it just some of that it makes me wonder maybe some of some northern foreshadowing is amidst this chapter as well. The two crowns and the two two crowns as in Bran and Sansa obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the splitting of the of Westeros. I, mm -hmm. I I see it and like I mean I strongly believe, you know, I remember after <sighs> season 8 season eight and i was like oh yes of course amidst i mean there were so many theories right that ice would be reforged mm -hmm. and i realized i was like oh yeah that was symbolizing the, that's a split. The, the split i mean yeah and then yeah. as you said the two crowns interesting something going on two there crowns. and it would be around here right it would be around in this area because this is the riverlands so yeah yeah i mean it's there not is like something and even with, uh, and we'll talk about this later, Fire and Blood, right? The resettling of the Riverlands and Fire and Blood. I think now, I want to reread that, if only because oh, right. uh, after war, the Trident and everything, and Lady Sam. Uh, I'd like to reread some of that now, because I think there is a lot there, uh, especially through the Catalan and Brienne chapters, and these perspectives we're having on the Riverlands and the war going on across the Riverlands, the Crownlands, the Trident, this area uh, I think there's something mm -hmm. more that's going to be settled score-wise as we get through these books. We have to return to the Riverlands, and the Riverlands have to come back in a meaningful way. I think Fire and Blood oh, is really course. showing us that. Uh, it's like the, it, it, everything is the Riverlands, dude. Like This is a yeah. huge area because of the lateral just space it fills. 
just across the Riverlands. It is the war. I don't remember all the words. Um, Tell me more about Long John Heddle. Long John and his his reign here with his Uh, Long John Silver (laughs) and his bell tower. (laughs) Well, Long John Heddle. But when the Smith's son grew older, a bastard son of Aegon IV, as you all know, rose up against his brother, takes a black dragon for his sigil. You know, you all know this story because you're all nerds. That's why you're listening to our podcast. We are too. Lord Derry owned the lands and was highly loyal to his lord. Chloe looks so aghast, but she shouldn't be, right? Because, I mean, he cut down the dragon post and casts it into the river, and one of the heads of the dragon eventually washes up years later on, interestingly, the Quiet Isle. It is red with rust, and the innkeep never ended up hanging another sign. So they just called it the River Inn, you know, whatever. It's the River Inn now. And the rooms are kind of, like, over the water, so guests can, like, even fish out of their windows. It sounds like a very deluxe, like, hotel experience. There's a lot of great Blackfire and Targaryen talk you brought up, the Aegon Six thoughts, you know. Uh, but but it does also remind me a little bit of the Sworn Sword. Uh, the whole backdrop of Duncan Egg, kind of the, the actual conflict comes, that it starts as peacetime, and then the Blackfire Rebellion rises in Dunk's story. Brienne's in her sworn sword era. Arguably, I'd say Brienne is going off in her sworn sword era as Dunk. She's no longer the hedge knight, right? Mm. Graduated a book. And there's actually a moment Dunk feels a ton of guilt because he's taking the spot of Arlen's squire after the Blackfire Rebellion. And he takes some spots of some people that have died that shouldn't have died. Even saying the name made Dunk feel vaguely guilty. I stole his place. Only princes and great lords had the means to keep two squires. If Aegon the Unworthy had given his sword to his heir, Darren, instead of the bastard, Damon, there might never have been a Blackfire Rebellion, and Roger of Pennytree might be alive today. He would be a knight somewhere, a truer knight than me. I would have ended on the gallows or been sent off to the Night's Watch to walk the wall until I died. Dunk feels so much guilt, and it's not unlike the guilt Brienne's feeling lately, right? We're seeing her feel really guilty, a little dark, things are not going great. I imagine she's facing some of that same imposter syndrome with her Oathkeeper sword, as we're seeing as well. I think it's great George has looped this in so much. Uh, The Sworn Sword, a lot of those plot points definitely come to the surface that are being looked at and nodded at in this chapter, and especially considering the mystery knight comes next in the series of the three books. So if this is her sworn sword era, the mystery knight is her next era, okay? Makes me think of Dunk with his shield, right? Uh, He has the gallows shield in a mystery knight. Dunk had not had time to have it painted with his elmen shooting star, so it still bore the arms of its last owner, a hanged man swinging grim and gray beneath a gallows tree. It was not a sigil he would have chosen for himself, but the shield had come cheap. He even enters in the tourney in Mystery Night as the Gallows Knight, and then there's this line that is said to him by Maynard Plum. Maynard Plum. Maynard, it's Bloodraven. It's fucking Bloodraven. Bloodraven says to him while in disguise, and I think this is coming back for Brienne right now the most. Would you rather die with honor intact or live with it besmirched? No, spare me. I know what you will say. Take your boy and flee, Gallows Knight, before your arms become your destiny. 
Hmm. Interesting. This is this is great. I the way you've tied together. I I forgot the gallows night story. I kind of did too. It's like, I mean, clearly you did it because you brought it into this chapter. (laughs) I had to do a little rereading. I had to do a little rereading, sharpen up. You know, I'm pretty smart, but I'm not like memorized every other line, just mostly every other paragraph. (gasps) But yeah, and then as as you've likened. Dunk here, right? Feeling like he's taken this place of Arlen Squire. It's a lot of that survivor's guilt. Also, not just the imposter syndrome, but a little bit of that. And we yeah. see that Brienne is also feeling a lot of that. I think we we saw it a lot at the end of last chapter as Brienne goes over in their mind like all the all of these things that have happened. And also when it came to Nimble Dick Crab too. So like very interesting. Well, Septon Maribald explains to Brienne that, yes, yes, but the river moved 70 or 80 years ago. Um, erosion, you know, rivers are like that. Old Masha Heddle's grandfather kept the place, and she is who had given him this history lesson. He calls her a kindly woman who was fond of sour leaf and honey cakes, and that she would let him sleep at the hearth when she had no vacancy for him, and even give him stale cakes, bread, cheese to take on his way. But unfortunately, as we know, Masha Heddle had been hanged by the lions, and one of her nephews tried to reopen the inn, but the roads were too dangerous. He brought in some sex workers, but that didn't, like, actually help the business, and then some lord killed him. Sir Heil made a wry face. I never dreamed keeping an inn could be so deadly dangerous. It is being common-born that is dangerous when the great lords play their Game of Thrones, said Septon Mirbold. Isn't that so, dog? Roar! Dog barked in agreement. Wow. You know, just pop it out right now, give her the award. (laughs) Thank you. Two characters, two characters, (laughs) and when I say that the performances were so emotional, critics are saying all over the world that the portrayal of dog In Girls Gone Cannons, episode 149, (laughs) Brienne 7, and A Feast for Crows. They are just, they're not even saying, they're just crying. It's just tears. Oh, good. Tears. I read it in the New Yorker. Of laughter. I'm just, like, feeling in this dog moment, you know? I'm like, yeah, dog, make that political statement. I'm like, I feel like the fire elbow gif. I'm like, dog, dog. I did feel like his agreement was the most important part, but you can't overlook this classic, you know, line. This is the line. Like, first of all, he said the thing. He fucking said the thing. I mean, maybe, maybe the creators of the hit HBO experience, (laughs) Game of Thrones, named it that because of this line, because of how, you know, just inherently important it is to the series. Maybe. I mean, if they really understood the books, then they would have fucking included Dog, Okay. They cut okay, out all well, these yeah, characters, but they point. cut out the main character. Whatever. Yeah, of course I'm mad that they cut out Aegon, but I'm real mad they cut out Dog. No, you're right. A dog should have been included, and that that's true. You can quote Eliana and me on that. Arian Martell. They're Quentin. fine, but Dog? Dog. We need a dog. Dog? You dog. <laughs> all right. Well, now, well. now in, the, in the current time, modern 2021, the inn is called the Crossroads Inn. <laughs> And two of Masha's nieces have actually opened it once more. High old jokes, he says. They could call it the Gallows Inn. There's your gallows again. 
They come upon it, and it's large. It's three stories above the roads, walls, turrets, chimneys, and the chimneys are made of white stone. So it's very bold against the gray sky. Reminds me now a little white walls just because you brought up the mystery night. It's white walls. I love that. We visit what they found at Salt Pans, right? We do a little backtrack, George R. R. Martin style. The fairy took them there from Quiet Isle, and the survivors had all fled, the dead given to the ground, and the town itself remained ashen, unburied. The air still smelled of smoke, and the cries of the seagulls floating overhead sounded almost human, like the lamentations of lost children. Damn. I never think of seagulls like that, but <laughs> you know, good for him. You know what it kind of makes me think of? Summer no. Hall. I'll see myself out. Oh, with the air smelling of smoke and the lost children. Yup. I see. You sad? I I'm see. sad. My God. It's a sad chapter. It's like, uh, it's it's an intense chapter. It's sad, but also very moving yeah. at the end, you know, with um, Brienne's heroism. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, that's, that is kind of, as, as we get there, it's very yeah. dunkish. Mm-hmm. Dunkish. Two C's. <laughs> Well, nothing moved on its battlements but banners. It took a quarter hour until a woman appeared, asking their business, uh, asking for shelter for the night. But she had told them to be gone, and that the closest inn is at the crossroads. Nothing would bring her back to the door, so they sheltered in the woods that night. But there is life when they get to the inn. As they near, they hear a faint hammering of steel. It seems that the inn has an active forge. Heil hopes that they have an active kitchen as well, and craves a crisp roast chicken. They approach the inn, where four girls are waiting on the porch. The youngest, two and naked, and the oldest, nine of ten, are guarding the little one. Heil asks them to get their mother, and there's like an awkward moment, and they're like, Our mom's fucking dead. <laughs> Our mom got killed, Heil Hunt. Yeah, the other ones are like, I just yeah. don't have a mom, whatever. Like, but yeah, I mean, theirs died too. Yeah, or abandoned them. <sighs> yep, fun anything good times this good times is an here inn of fun the eldest girl steps forward demanding to know who they are <laughs> and brienne says we're honest travelers we just need somewhere to shelter and introduces them all the hammering suddenly stops the girl looks them over introduces herself as willow and asks if they will want beds Hyle asks if she's the innkeeper, and she's like no my sister jane is but she's not here and then she says that all they have is horse meat to eat. They're fresh out of sex workers, but they do have beds, some feather, some straw. She asks if they'll be paying with silver, and Hyle laughs at them. And Hyle's like, are you trying to rob me? Willow eyes the donkey and its bundle of supplies, and she's like, where'd you get the food? Maribald responds they got it in Maiden Pool, and Hyle asks if they question all of their guests this way. Hyle has some... I would like to speak to the manager energy going on, and I do not like it. Where is your Bob, your stacked A-line Bob, Heil Hunt? Would you like to speak to the manager? These are the managers, you motherfucker. (laughs) You won't like the other manager, because the other manager is Lady Stoneheart. (laughs) Uh, That's true. Yeah, I mean, he eventually gets that, right? He eventually does get to speak to the manager, but that's the next chapter. Uh, Willow explains they don't often have visitors. It's been sparrows, or worse. And a boy's voice comes through from the stables and adds thieves and robbers. And we have this line of when that boy emerges, and it's Brienne turned and saw a ghost. Renly. No hammer blow to the heart could have felled her half so hard. My lord? 
she gasped. Lord! The boy pushed a lock of black hair that had fallen across his eyes. I'm just a smith. He is not Renly, Brienne realized. Renly is dead. Renly died in my arms, a man of one and twenty. This is only a boy. This is so sad, right? Because Brienne, like, she looks at him and she sees a ghost. And she sees suspicion and anger in his eyes. And she thinks this yes. is not warm, like Renly's eyes, welcoming. And even their facial hair is different. Uh, and the way she's seeing Gendry versus Renly, it's interesting because Gendry has actually been through a lot, right? He's also seen war very much up mm -hmm. close. It was not games and dining at Bitterbridge for Gendry. He's gone through a lot of hardships out here, and nope. he's become hardened through it. He's not the same boy that we met in the Arya chapters. And seeing the ghost of Renly, in the next chapter, she sees a literal ghost, right? Renly is still kind of romanticized, and she still really feels hurt at yeah. his loss and her role in that, however small, which I think is small or big in her opinion, that role was. But it actually is Stoneheart in the next chapter. We're here. Renly's gone. Renly's ghost, which you'll talk about, I'm sure, today. Renly's ghost mm -hmm. coming up in other ways personified is gone. But this is an actual ghost of a yeah. human being that was in her life and influential. Shit gets real. Absolutely. I mean, Brienne has many ghosts now at this time, right? <laughs> like, again, that's that's gone over a little at the end of last chapter. And Renly's definitely one of them. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you've pointed out one actual literal ghost that we're going to get, in a way, Stoneheart, or zombie, depending on how people care about that. But speaking of bastards who are ghosts, I mean, in all likelihood, we're going to get another royal bastard who is going to be also a ghost, right? John? Ah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I mean, that is a ghost. and John have a lot. Yeah, yeah they got stuff in common. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like you said, right, he's been hardened through all this stuff. I mean, look at what it did to Arya. Arya's like, yeah, we kill people now. And Gendry's like, what the fuck? Anyway, so, Maribald says, they mean no harm, explaining, oh, Masha used to always give him a honey cake when he would visit. But Gendry says that she's dead. The lions hanged her. Heil adds that hanging seems to be the favorite sport around here that if he lived here he'd plant hemp and sell rope and make a fortune fucking right wing capitalist Heil Hunt <laughs> I swear to fucking god I'm waiting for the perks of Heil Hunt to come up in this chapter when do you think I'm gonna see them I'm not, I'm not entirely sure he's a he's got comedic relief there's that I guess and amidst everything else yeah funny he's so funny I don't know I don't know, Eliana. I'm just waiting for the perks to start happening. Men are funny, I guess. Men are funny. <laughs> Brienne asks Willow if all these children are her kin. Willow's like, no, they're orphans. They come here on their own, or the sparrows bring them. She sizes Brienne up, a familiar feeling, unfortunately, for Brienne, and says, if you're a woman, why are you dressed like a man? We've discussed, I think, this, this feeling and how it impacts Brienne in the past few chapters, and obviously... You know, I guess Brienne's unfortunately used to it, but Maribald steps up to the plate once more and tells Willow that, ah, oh, Brienne is a warrior maid, using the same term as from last chapter, and that she needs a room. He asks if they have rooms for them, and the boy says no, but Willow says yes, arguing with Gendry that 
these people have food and we're gonna fucking get this food. The little ones are hungry. She stamps her foot and as if by magic, ragged boys and girls just pop out and appear. Some of them also are clutching crossbows, which uh, are just wound up and loaded. And then Hyle jokes... Hyle's got a lot of names for this inn. Hyle now jokes <laughs> that they should call it the Crossbow Inn, but internally Brienne thinks that Orphan Inn is more apt. I do love his little names for the inns. They're kind of funny. I'll give him that. That's, you know, what, a quarter <laughs> of a point. <laughs> All uh, right. This is the contribution. Yeah, this is it. This is finally the true... Morale. He is redeemed in my eyes, and I love the imagery of the ragged boys and girls popping up. I guess if we're thinking in-universe, it is directly parallel to Varys, right? With his little birds popping up mm. with the knives. Yes. I think the end of, you know, Kevon's doom at the end of Dance is kind of akin to these children. But also the survivalism of it all for these children. It's very Peter Pan and Wendy in some aspects, right? That, like... Peter Pan shows up and takes out the Darling family for a ride in the sky because they're children and they're never going to grow up. And the Brotherhood shows up to protect them in some ways, right? Like, these are like the lost children. Uh, It's so sad that Willow and Jane are just trying to, like, take care of them. Who's going to take care of Willow and Jane, right? Brienne, in this chapter, at least. But who's going to take care of Brienne? God, it's very stressful. I do like the slight dichotomy being presented of Willow and Jane as these variations of Arya and Sansa, as we'll talk about for for her thinking Jane could be Arya. There's also something in the personalities, right? Like Sansa being the bossy lady telling people what to do throughout the chapter and also a protective sister and lady of the people while Arya's there with the crossbow. There's even something with what we were talking about a little bit earlier, it kind of got me thinking with the two crowns and a lot of the other stuff going on in the start of the chapter. It makes me think about resettling the gift in how the Riverlands is torn to shreds in the war and these two girls are resettling this patch of land, right? And mm. not unlike Arya, Sansa, maybe Bran and John in the North, rebuilding the North, resettling the gift, and the Riverlands, again, in the Fire and Blood and the Riverlands in... Tiwao and Ados, I guess. What they're doing is really interesting here. Jane and Jane and Willow, and I like the idea of how it ties into what we might get one day. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> well, Willow begins to throw out directions. Help them with the horses. Put down the rock. Get wood for the fire. Help the Septon with the bundles. Willow takes them to their rooms, which end up being three rooms that all join together, with feather beds, chamber pots, and windows. Brienne's even has a hearth. She lets Podrick stay with her this time, as they're no longer at the quiet aisle. They mean to leave secretly, just the two of them tomorrow. This is Brienne's plan, because Brienne loves ghosting. Brienne did this before, too, if you'll remember. Yeah, she does. Uh, If only they had. If only they had. She ghosts uh, the merchants in the start. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Maribald planned to go out to Lord Haraway's town with Doug. And the elder brother convinced Brienne that they wouldn't find Sansa on the trident. So they planned to leave while Hyle was still asleep, as she had not forgiven him yet for for Highgarden and all those hijinks. And as he said, he swore no vows about Sansa Stark. Podrick then asked where they're going to go next, but... Brienne quite literally has no clue. The crossroads could take them anywhere to the Vale to Riverrun or the North, through the next bogs or to Winterfell. There's a lot of choices. And honestly, like, there's not many clues to go on. I get it. I get it. You know, 
again, Brienne's getting better at this. Um, or they could go south. Slink back to King's Landing, relinquish Jamie's magical sword, and find a ship to take them home, having failed. But some part of them yearned for Evenfall, for their father. The other part of them wonders if Jamie would comfort them, and should she weep upon him. And she thinks, That's what men wanted, wasn't it? Soft, helpless women that they needed to protect? I love this being placed in the center of the chapter before we get to the, the crazy ending, right, as we get there. Or she could go south and just admit she's failed and go home and do what society wants her to do. Mm. And it's like, what she just said, she's been through so much in these seven chapters. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not, it's, especially earlier when we're thinking about the whites a little bit, like, it's not, every human wants comfort. Like, if you've been through a bunch of trauma, look at Sam's yes. chapter with Sam and Gilly and Sam, you know, even in his fear of it, kind of choosing love, you know, choosing, like, I'm going to comfort Gilly and try to just celebrate life because we could be dead, dude. We could be really dead. I could be dead. We could all be dead. Uh, everyone wants comfort. It's not weakness to want to be comforted after having a horrible time. And it also reminds me, this exactly is her becoming Catelyn for this moment, right? It's just like what Catelyn says. I want to weep. I want to be comforted. I'm so tired of being strong. I want to be foolish and frightened for once, just for a small while. That's all. A day. An hour. And the way that, uh, you know, wanting to escape is a actually better for Heil and them in some aspects. Heil might stand a chance, right, to not suffer for her crimes, which happens in the next chapter, mm. or, or be taken. But also... Everybody is telling her this is what people want, what soft women really are. Like, they're this. Wanting comfort doesn't equate you to being a soft woman, especially in the face of what Brienne is able to pull courage out of themselves and do at the end of this chapter and, like, flip off the fucking societal view of that and say, no, I'll do what a mother does. The same as Catelyn. I'll protect. Right? The ferocity. Absolutely. And, and it even reminds me of... I mean, it feels like a path to becoming, again, a broken man on, on Brienne's part. That desire for comfort and finding nowhere that offers it. And, like, it it even reminds me of Brienne's relative, your fave, yeah boy, Sandor. <laughs> I mean, you specifically. Me, specifically. Um, my boy. Say your, your boy. Your boy. <laughs> yes, your boy, Chloe. Sandor. And I mean, like, that's what he wanted, right? He wanted comfort, and so few people offered him that except for Sansa. And he's like, according to many, you know, like, here he's a feared figure. He's image of, like, manly man to so many people across Westeros. He is to Joffrey. Joffrey's like, wow, so cool. Um, yeah. I took the song. She never gave it. <laughs> Why would you say this, Aliana? You really hurt my feelings tonight. I didn't even think we were going to go into it, but here we are. <sighs> I, I thought this is what you wanted to talk about, Sandra. I clearly have misread. Just because I write about dogs for you doesn't mean I want you to write about dogs for me, okay? <laughs> I did it all wrong. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It, that's oh. I didn't really think of him in that. Um, but it's true. It, it, I mean, I don't know, maybe after the trauma of reliving what in your childhood, you know, ailed you, 
and by ailed you, I mean traumatized the shit out of you, having to relive it all the time. Like, maybe that's enough to just want a fucking hug once in a while, dude. Someone hug him. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, sorry, one last time, one more person who wants to be comforted, paralleling at a similar time, perhaps, in, in their stories is Daenerys, right? In the the wilderness. Yeah, alone. And when she finally thinks, I I was only a young girl, right? She She turns it. You know, when they finally invert it, right, in Daenerys 10 in A Dance of Dragons, where she realizes and is like, I just wanted friends. I am only a young girl, so. Yeah. The lone, I mean, and that's the same, right? Like, Brienne is only a yeah. young girl. She's lonely. This is a lonely Honestly, road she's choosing. Yeah, compared <sighs> to me, also. Brienne's quite young. They head to the common room, which is crawling with orphans. The tables are pushed together, three long rows. Gendry was the closest thing to a man grown, but yet Willow shouts the orders, as if a queen in her castle, and the other children are merely servants. Brienne starts to wonder, is Willow someone more important? She's too young to be Sansa, but maybe the right age for Arya. Catelyn said she lacked her sister's beauty. Okay, Brienne, listen, be nice. Brown eyes, brown hair, skinny. Could it be? Brienne was not sure of the color of Arya's eyes, though. Maybe she didn't die at salt pans. So close. Oh my god. Why does no one look at Arya's eyeballs? We're so close. And and this is so well layered against dance, though, with Theon. Like, not far off in location, probably, at the same time of what's happening for Theon. Someone will know. Someone will notice. It's the brown eyes, not the gray. Mm. That's just, that's so funny. Why does no one look at Arya's eyeballs? Because she's busy, like, in mud piles. (laughs) <laughs> that's true they're just like Arya what are you doing <laughs> and I mean I guess it's kind of funny right because they're trying to look for people who look like Arya mm-hmm. to find Arya and it's like that's not going to help you anymore Arya can look like anyone but I mean I do I do feel for Willow in these moments and trying to order everyone around and bring order to this place like you said trying to carve out a place for for her and for the children here um, and there's something that I feel is kind of connects willow and brienne right of how brienne thinks that maybe willow is someone else just because willow exhibits like fantastic leadership and delegation skills right but the potential that willow has is held back right by the station that she's born in as uh septon mirabold said right it's just that the common folk being common born is dangerous and it like Brienne, right? Like, society's expectations of what Brienne should be like for being born in this body has held Brienne back to an extent, just as Willow is in her station. Yeah. Absolutely. And given them both bigger tasks than, honestly, what is normal in that station for either. That's true. Big undertakings for both of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. No chance, no choice. Yeah, none. Outside, the boys help Podrick unpack Donkey, carrying in food. Septim Mirabald helps him take charge of the porridge, and he laments his long-gone oranges to a very Aww. small boy. He's like, I promise in the spring I'll bring you an orange if you be a good lad, and helps through the porridge now. Aww. Gladly trade you a stir today for a orange next year. Meanwhile, at the fire- Two years, three years. Yeah, and probably never. He's probably going to die, and that boy will never have an orange anyway. 
Life is terrible. <laughs> Fuck. I mean, that's like what the oranges are, right? In the other areas of this book. Shit. Death. Shit. Fucking motherfucking done. death. I mean, yeah, Ugh, that is what that is. oranges. Yeah, plop. Plop. Oh my plop. god. Yeah, dude, they're all gonna fucking Big die. Sad. It's so sad. <sighs> Meanwhile at the fire, Kyle pulls his boots off and they discuss how this is the inn where Sandor killed his brother's men. Heil seems kind of spooked by that, and Brienne's like, what, are you scared of children? He says that children should be wrapped in swaddling clothes and hung on the wall until girls have boobies and the boys, you know, can shave. Brienne, though, feels sorry. She's like, I feel so bad for these orphan children. Heil rolls his eyes, and he's like, I forget you're a woman with a mushy heart like porridge. Then he proceeds to say, well... You need a husband anyways to have a baby, so why not me? You could marry me, you know? Oh my god, what a prize. What a consolation prize. <laughs> Brienne scowls, saying he probably hopes to win his original wager, right? But Heil disagrees, saying marriage would serve us both. Lands for me and a castle full of children for you. Wait a second. This does not feel equal, Heil. Horrible. Ugh. <laughs> He he really is projecting a lot here, right? Like, he says he's capable. He's like, yeah, I have a bastard. I promise I won't inflict my kid on you. And Brienne declines, saying that, okay, my dad is only 54. He could totally get a new son on a wife. But I was like, I mean, that's pretty unlikely, all right? We're talking about odds of him having a boy. First of all, he's got to have the odds of finding, like, a wife and a wife that'll have kids. And then it's got to be a boy. It's a whole lot. Right? And Brienne, like, is like, this game fucking sucks. Alright, go play with someone else. It's, it's, I feel like the subtext is, you know, like, Brienne is basically telling him, like, it's not cute when you try to play Sundari. Okay. Kyle Hunt. <laughs> it is, like, I don't know. I'm still waiting. I'm just waiting for Kyle Hunt to show his worth, because this whole thing is also, like, hey, I could be your husband and have your lands and give you kids so you have purpose in life and, and like Brienne they have purpose in life right now you know like they they feel yeah. a little lost at the crossroads but at by the chapter's it end doesn't. I mean that's the thing is like it is a further perpetuation of the game they played right with her maiden head it's not all that yeah. different he hasn't changed he's trying to offer her now a new plea bargain for her pussy uh, I don't know he's just like now he's trying to say it nicely again and this is what Every man has done to Brienne. Like, the whole time. Why is this an attractive option? Like, do they... Why would they... They would never think this was an attractive option. So seeing it at the end of this chapter reinforce that Brienne is like, no, this is my only path. I have to do it or I have to die. No chance. No choice. I have to protect these children. That's how Brienne mothers the children. Right? Like, it's not about conceiving children for Brienne to be a mother. Brienne is a mother in this chapter. Brienne does what mothers do. Yeah. There's more than one way, yeah, to care for children. Like, you don't have to bear them, right? We see a lot of people here in in Fire and Blood, right? They bear kids. Mm -hmm. They're terrible mothers. Just because you, like, (laughs) have them doesn't mean, like, you're great at it. You don't get, like, a license Um, that says you're an A-plus child bearer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, whatever. And I I can't tell if, like, Hunt actually, like, is going for this or if it's just, like, is Heil Hunt negging? Like, I feel like, does Heil Hunt actually, he's interested in Brienne and is just terrible at, like, being honest about it, but... Who knows what diet Jamie really wants. I know. Don't, don't neg 
don't nag if you're trying to flirt. It doesn't really work. No. Especially, yeah, especially if, you know, the person's just, like, way better than you, right? Stronger. Out of your league. Completely out of your league. Yeah, Yeah. honestly, don't nag. It's not going to work. If this person has better armor, better sword, better body, better prospects, better land, better status. Honest. In every way, yeah. Better heart. Dating advice. Better brain. From Girls Gone Canon. If, yeah. If, listen, if the person you're chasing is Brienne of Tarth, you have no chance, no choice. You can't do it. You're not, <laughs> you are out of their league. <laughs> I said what I said. I mean, yeah, don't try to bring Brienne down to your, you work on yourself, work on mm-hmm. yourself, then come back. Yeah, if you, you sparkle, know? maybe you'll catch Brienne's eye, okay? Heil Hunt, maybe yeah. you should start sparkling. Yeah. Be a little more golden, you know? And then he says another thing next that does not make me happier with him. I just want to put this out there that this line also, I'm like, Heil, you're not doing yourself any favors because he says, leave your chamber door unbarred tonight and I'll prove what I say. Jesus fucking Christ. Brian's like, I don't, I didn't ask for this booty call. Don't text me at 3 a.m., please. This is why girls ghost. (laughs) So that. Right, right. This is exactly why Brienne's ghosting. She's like, ugh, I said no. Um, and, and Brienne promises that if Hyle does, then Hyle's going to leave that room a eunuch. And then they leave him, and Septon Maribald leads the children in grace. All but Gendry, who crosses his arms and glares around at everyone. Uh, I'm into witchcraft. Adolescence. <laughs> That's true, also that. <laughs> Gendry's no longer, Gendry's a convert, um, because afterwards Mirabald asks if he has love for the gods, and, you know, Gendry's like, not your gods, and he leaves, citing his work to do, and the boy tells him, oh yeah, he has love for the Lord of Light, and then Willow hits him with a spoon, telling him to eat, and not <laughs> bother the lords with talk. Hey, that's not, like, acceptable, you know, I mean, they are those that have converted, I mean, and... Let's face it, the Lord of Life is also promised through protection by the Brotherhood. It is also right now spreading through class because of that, because that's their nearest form of protection. So I'm sure a lot of those children, as they become of age living there, would start to convert if they believed in it. And if that's the only god that you've ever seen actually do something for you, right? Like, Gendry, interesting. magic. He has nothing, right? Like, he threw everything into, like, wagering into being a knight through them. He even, he, I mean, he lost Arya. He lost Hot Pie, Lamy. He really lost on the road. That was the only family mm-hmm. he really had ever had now since leaving King's Landing. He must be really lonely. He's lost his whole mini war family. He's seen a bunch of bullshit go down. And, and not only is he following the Lord of Light, he's following the Lightning Lord, right? Like, Beric is kind of part mm. of his god. Uh, if Beric's who he's also modeling himself after is his positive, you know, male figure in his life now he's modeling himself into a broken man i don't know the seven and the old gods never did anything for him why wouldn't he believe in this one he's watched this one work oh he's like his uncle right he's like i'm going to try a new bird now wow and that's true i i went there that's true. i mean it is I mean, it is that's wrong. what you're saying i Damn. think yeah gendrous i mean I don't think this is like necessarily what's happening to Gendry, but mm-hmm. a lot of what you're saying comes back to something that that I've that we've brought up in previous episodes of like, I mean, when people are isolated and have nothing left, this is a it's a it's a pathway for radicalization and extremism. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a lot of it here with Gendry, like you've said, it these people who follow the Lord of Light are the only people that he's seen actually doing something for the common born, and also, I mean. 
they have like literal miracles you know yeah. like i understand how that would turn someone into a convert and be like yo they just brought that person back from the dead that's incredible yeah i mean that's it's pretty convincing jesus performed miracles according to the bible you know and people and follow him so exactly <sighs> i love this passage it says the children fell upon the supper like wolves on a wounded deer, quarreling over codfish, mm-hmm. tearing barley bread to pieces, getting porridge everywhere. Uh, and I do want to add Septim Maribald feeds two morsels to dog for every one he eats himself. That's very important, right? We got to give it up for dog. Outside. Dog. Dog. The rain is falling. The fire is crackling. Inside. Hyle watches Willow smack smack the children with her spoon and he chuckles and he says she'll make some man a frightful wife maybe gendry i love that Hmm. so much brienne is thinking that this willow could be Arya, even right so hyle is like wow that gendry kid's gonna marry willow that willow girl and i'm like oh accidental gendry and Arya, accidental gendry and Arya. is it accidental or is it intentional Hmm. i don't know something about a feather bed right whoa Whoa. Brienne says someone should go take some food to Gendry. Speaking of Gendry, right? She's like, uh-huh. "Oh, he stormed off. Ha! He stormed off." Ha! Uh, so she <laughs> wraps up that. food. She wraps up cheese, bread, apple, cod, takes it over to his forge where he's bare-chested beneath his leather apron, beating on a sword. She watches him, noting that Renly's eyes and hair is the same as his, but not his build. He, uh, he his build is not like. Renly's. It's more like the fabled brother Robert, fighter. Finally, he notices her, and he rejects her supper offering, and he's like, do you think you're my mother? There we are again with the mother. She says she's not, and she's like, who was your mother, by the way? Just asking. You know, just just wondering. NBD. <laughs> uh, she could tell he was born in King's Landing, though, and he plunges his sword into water, the steel hissing, and he ignores her, and she asks his age and maybe his father, and he's like, my mom's dead. I never knew her. And she calls him a bastard, and he's like, wow, I'm a knight. How could you say that to me? As we all know, right? He never knew his father also, and Gendry retorting to being called a bastard with, I'm a knight, it's also, I think, kind of a reflection of Brienne as well, right? These outcasts who are living up to these ideas Mm. of knighthood. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, of course, right? Like, Reminds me a little because Brienne's like, are you sure? Like, are you sure you're a knight? I mean, she doesn't say that, but I feel like there's a vibe there of that. And it reminds me a little of Dunk, right? Mm. Who claimed to be a knight. But I think, I mean, Gendry was knighted and there were way more people who witnessed it. Yeah. That's interesting to think of, too, that Gendry's knighting was much more witnessed than dunks would have been quote-unquote and brienne has done either didn't happen yeah yeah and of course this is face to her again right like what would you understand about knighthood brienne they all say to her you know you could never be a knight yeah it's kind of it's interesting that he faces her with that maybe she shouldn't have called him a bastard that was a little rude i mean she she left out a word probably because she was like i can't just drop this kid this ball on this kid <laughs> she's just like oh you're a royal bastard yeah that's true though she is trying to hold that back a little bit and, and she keeps going she's, she's hinting though she's like so you have blue eyes black hair born in king's landing and she's like you must have seen king robert before right <laughs> and he's like uh one time i was playing near the mud gate and he came back from hunting and he was drunk and he almost ran me down and he goes damn dude that's Damn. Yeah. 
And he's like, but you know, King Robert's better than those sons of his. And Brienne goes in her head. She's like, oh, shit. Stannis is right. Those aren't his sons. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think this is a really great realization. And it's not really lingered on. And I'm curious to what this means for the Winds of Winter and for A Dream of Spring for her. Because I don't think Brienne will want to kill Stannis any longer. I think this is also like a little moment for Brienne, who is becoming, not to come back to what you said, but yeah, the, those parallels coming back with Stannis in the story for R'hllor and isolation. Maybe mm. she's starting to see a little less of the gold and green rose colored lenses and mm. understanding maybe a little more of what Stannis was doing. Stannis told it true in this moment. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, people have ta talked about how, like, Renly probably knew, but... Yeah. He says he didn't. And I mean, like, if Brienne here is piecing it together... Yeah, the walls are coming down. It, it maybe, maybe she's going to really stray from that memory of Renly after this book. Mm. Once we get into Tiwao. Perhaps. One day. When you get into <laughs> Look under your chair. <laughs> well, Brienne, again, begins to say something to him and is about to be like, about to have this talk, tell this kid about his royal parentage, big truth bombs, but unfortunately a different bomb hits instead, because suddenly Dog is barking and is frantic because someone was coming, and Gendry's like unconcerned, he's like, yeah, those are my friends and you're gonna meet them soon enough, but turns out they're not really friends, also through the rain and the barking. Brienne hears swords and mail clinking, and then seven men come through, some wounded, and the last is massive and hulking. His horse is blown and bloodied under him, and his face is maggot white. <laughs> Yay! His cheeks are covered with weeping sores, and then Brienne draws Oathkeeper and is like, yo, these are no one's friends, okay? Nobody's friends with these people. She tells him to armor himself, and he comes out, hammer in hand, as lightning cracks across the sky. <laughs> oh, I get it! I get yes, it! Yes, the lightning I see it lord the himself. Oh, sick. So happy. Well, they both stand in front of a man wearing a hound's helm, and the door bangs open at the inn, and Willow steps out, a crossbow in hand, shouting at the riders beneath the thunderous sky. It's so sad, because this is like, Gendry's expecting the Brotherhood to return, but they're still not here, and they don't come back until the very end of the chapter, as we hear very vaguely, as, like, Brienne is, you know, dying, passed out. So, like, they never stood a chance. If Brienne had not been there, they would have all probably been massacred. They stood no chance, no choice against these guys. Yeah. Brienne barely holds herself down there for a while. You know, like, she gets through them, but it's rough. The man that's in the hound's helm threatens yeah. Willow and tells her, if you lose a quarrel, I'll use that quarrel on you. And it's in very awful ways. And Ugh. Willow takes a step back. Uh, that fear right there, right? Like, Willow's pretty brave with the people that weren't very immediately violent, but Willow takes a step back from this man. I mean, Willow's still brave in this moment, right? But <laughs> knows when. When can a man be brave? Shit. I mean, I would be, I would be real scared. I pee. Even, I mean, I pee. Yeah, we don't see her like shaking her hands, but I'm sure she's scared as she busts out that crossbow. How can she not be? Regarding. Though this man in the hound's helm, we all know it is not the hound. It is not Sandor Clegane. But 
there is this like wonderful convergence here, I think, of these ideas of identity and symbols that are coming together in this chapter. It starts off with that really great setup regarding the changing signifiers for the inn and then how the name changes. But it's there's this question of like, is it not the same inn at the, its core? Which, yes, is also about Aegon, but I also think it could be said, right? This could be applied to questions surrounding Lady Stoneheart just because the name changes and, and the appearance changes. Is it Catelyn? Is it not Catelyn, right? And mm -hmm. even in Cersei, does the nature of a person or a thing change just because the names do, just because appearance changes? But also in regards to identity and like the inn and naming, we have someone here who is donning the helm, the armor of the hound, and gets a step into that person, much as we discussed long, long ago now in our identity Patreon episode, one of, I think, our first Patreon episodes, and... There's a poetry to this happening, considering how Gendry reminds us of Renly and Robert, because Renly's death left a vacuum that allowed Garland Tyrell to become Renly's ghost by also putting on Renly's armor. So we have a little echo of that here. And then coming back to that inn and to Aegon, how all of these trappings and symbols have been just draped around the Lannister bastards. But then here is Gendry, right, with... The very mirror of what would be a strong identifier, that undeniable Baratheon look. Yeah, and, and there's also something to really reflect that in that helm at the start, the lion's helm offered to Podrick by Hyle, full of worms, dead gross skull. That really reinforces that kind ah. of Lannister bastards Baratheon rule here of having the, the Storm Lord himself against that cracked sky. And the destruction of House Lannister that it's kind of bringing upon itself after destroying the Riverlands. Yes, yes. Um, and I mean, like, that he's turning down, right? Being one of the lions. I also, again, I'm just mm -hmm. I'm just proud of Brienne. You know, yeah. Brienne's detective skills, they are leveling up as Brienne pieces this identity together. And I'm just like, oh move God. over, Detective Pikachu. Brienne's in town. We got a new P.I. <laughs> Detective Pikachu is Eliana's second favorite movie after Brienne. Honestly, one I really do. Her favorite movie. Like Detective Pikachu. It's really good. I know you do. I love it too. I love it too. <sighs> seven, Brienne thought again, despairing. She had no chance against Seven, she knew. No chance and no choice. She stepped out into the rain, oath keeper in hand. Leave her be. If you want to rape someone, try me. Damn. Wow. That takes that takes a lot of courage. Brienne's power, honestly. It is. It, it is a lot of courage. And it, it's like external courage. It's like not just what she's been working up inside yeah. her, but she stands and does something. It's big. It, it's such this this whole end is such a whirlwind of emotions, and it's so emotional. This is kind of a lot of the culmination of her plot, what it's come to. She had no chance against Seven, no chance and no choice. How many chapters have we heard Brienne think to herself how, you know, she couldn't take on more than a few people at once. She'd surely die without someone else helping her. She couldn't do it. And here she is, and she has to fight off these men, these broken men. And there's something even in this chapter that's reminiscent of Ned's version of saving the children as we bring up these Lannister bastards, as we bring up the Baratheons. Ned saving the children. Uh, and, and how Hyle wants Brienne to be a mother so badly this chapter, apparently. Just, like, won't shut up about Brienne's mm. womb. And how society wants that 
here, as I mentioned, Brienne has become a mother, right? Just by protecting all of these orphans, by standing up with her sword and daring to run it through these people. Redefining what a mother is, like like Catelyn with the assassin in mm. the tower with Bran, right? That Catelyn didn't think. She just stood up and in the ferocity of doing the right thing for her child. Brienne has just adopted mm-hmm. all of these children within this moment. She is like, no, I have to. I have to stop them. It's not just Sansa. It's not just Arya that I'm saving, right? It's protecting children and women and men and people, uh, protecting everyone everywhere from wrongdoings. Also, in a way, becoming a warrior. It's also like, maybe Brienne is not the warrior maid, but the warrior mother, right? Um, As Lo talked about in terms of how Septon Maribald pulled from different facets of the Seven, to combine into this one figure and and you know you're talking about like Brienne and, and Brienne's body and and protecting the children and Brienne's using their body in many different ways here to protect Willow and the other children right on one hand Brienne is using their body as bait a distraction of like all right so you want to assert power or dominance over another body over specifically a female body well here is mine but also in terms of again that warrior aspect of that sphere of a knight and actually being out there and fighting yeah this against that moment where Mm -hmm. brianna's thinking about going home phoning it in just being done right giving up and just doing what brianna's supposed to do in society being a Westerosi woman, a highborn woman, and just doing that. And, and, you know, we're told that if you have power and if you have any sort of power that others may not have, you should use that power to help others, right? That's the right way to use power and control power and exercise it. And at the same time, Brienne does not always have that power, but she does have some protections here from the king, whether mm-hmm. it's paper shield or not, her status, her birth, her sword, her her good armor, her steed, um, her money, mm. as we've watched her spend her money to help people throughout the story, too, in some aspects. This is a true knight. This is what it means. This is using that power to help others. And it's interesting that when you look at Dunk's story, it's set in peacetime, right? And battles are organically cropping up throughout powerful people as those tensions stay underground, but brew leading up to the next Blackfire Rebellion. But here, it's wartime, and it's not just battles breaking out on those bubbling tensions but it's the large folk have had all these battles the small folk have been pushed all the way to this side of poverty and this side of destruction through those wars happening through the large folk right so just watching brienne navigate this and know that like brienne Mm -hmm. does have some power that others do not and can exercise that power to help and that giving up would be like a total dismissal of having that privilege right Knowing that you had the Mm -hmm. chance to do something and just fucking it up and just saying, no, I'm just not going to use it. Brienne knows they have something very important and very special. And everyone's been telling Mm -hmm. Brienne that they do not have that their entire life. And here Brienne chose to stand against that. Yes, absolutely. Brienne's living up to the heroes in the songs and... It's not that the songs, right? It's not that anything has chosen Brienne. It's that Brienne has chosen to be a hero. You know, does that make sense? Like, there was no like outside mm-hmm. thing that said, "All right, this is it." Yeah, you, my child, are destined. You pulled the sword out of the stone, and Brienne's like, 
Someone's got to hold something. <laughs> Even if we got to use the stone itself. When can a man be brave? Exactly. The outlaws turn, and the man in the hound's helm begins to laugh, calling Brienne uglier than he remembers. And he says that he'd sooner rape Brienne's horse, and one of the wounded outlaws says, Yes! A horse! We need horses! And food! Give us that! Outlaws are after us, and then we'll leave. But the hound's helm man disagrees, saying that he wants to cut Brienne's legs off and make her watch him rape the crossbow girl. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, and of course, we'll we'll talk about it, but this is not unlike the first time Brienne met these men. True. Right, with Jamie on the road. It's so sad, though, because besides the main few broken companions, the other men are not unlike the unhelmed men she saw hanging, right? The men she still felt sad for, even though she knew they were awful. They probably do just want a horse and food and to run, like Sandor, right? Like, he mm. had no aim, he just wanted to drink it all away until it was over. It's it is sad to to like watch the background characters that are very very briefly here, but the fight is not with them, right? Brienne taunts him, saying he has no manhood, according to Shagwell, hoping to provoke him, and it works. He comes after her. The others stay back, watching the show. She hopes the mud and darkness will stop him, but stays prepared. Oathkeeper meeting his rush as he reaches her with his axe. Whore! He boomed. Freak! Bitch! I'll give you to my dog to fuck, you bloody bitch. Not the first person I've heard who does that. Um, yeah, right? Shit. Ugh. Well, maybe the first, because I different guess Jane, different the Jane. Other, other book. Anyway, so, this is a really fascinating exchange, though, between Brienne and Rorge, because Brienne is taunting Rorge by calling attention to his male body and seeks to emasculate him verbally, right? By saying, oh, you don't have, like... Your genitals, which is what everyone kind of, like, reduces Brienne to, right? What everyone's reducing mm -hmm. everyone around to. What they're reducing manhood to. As though, like, that's what even really matters here. It's like, no, you're here and you're, like, trying to kill kids. Like, what the fuck? Um, and yet it works. Like, Rorge takes that real personally for some reason. The assertion of him not having a penis. Yeah. It's like what Goodwin said, right? Their pride will make them want to mm. vanquish you quickly, lest it be said a woman tried them sorely. Uh, the goading that she's doing here to pull him into the mud and hope that he slips, you know, using her surroundings. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, Rorge is, again, very displeased with that. And so Rorge seeks to reassert his power, again, by de denigrating them to just their body and saying, like, wrongly, right? That mm. sex workers exist solely for men's sexual pleasure. That's that's a lot of what we see happen to Brienne, right? Like, like we talked about yes. back then with Sam, like, the interesting assumption that Brienne was a sex worker because Brienne was dressed uh, as a knight. And then it comes back to Freak, right? And I think, again, of Lowe's reminder of uh, trans and gender non-conforming people being regarded as gender freaks. And then, of course, the catch-all term there, right, of bitch combined with giving Brienne to his dogs, and then it, it reminds me a little again of what Lo was saying last chapter of how people see trans and gender non-conforming people as monstrous or inhuman. Yeah. It's, uh... It's, it's an interesting exchange. There's so much loaded in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brienne is like able to avoid that though you know where i personally would be spiraling mm -hmm. i mean i, I guess dead. physically kind of spiraling i'd be dead by now but brienne and brienne has no shield so all brienne mm -hmm. can do is evade the crushing blows 
And Brienne almost falls at one point, but recovers, but she feels an axe graze her shoulder. And we have this magnificent part of the passage. She could not fight seven, not alone, even if one or two were wounded. Old Sir Goodwin was long in his grave, yet she could hear him whispering in her ear, Men will always underestimate you, and their pride will make them want to vanquish you quickly, lest it be said a woman tried them sorely. Let them spend their strength in furious attacks while you can serve your own. Wait and watch, girl. Wait and watch. I like this Sir Goodwin. We've talked about it before, but... Better than Roel. I know, right? And we've also seen Brienne, like, I think, bring up this idea before, but considering that... It's kind of funny, right? This person, Rorge, is imitating one of the Cleganes, Sandra Clegane, of course, and is one of the people who I believe were formerly under the command of Gregor Clegane. And the way that Brienne is fighting here reminds me a little bit also of Oberyn, right? And Oberyn's strategy for defeating the Mountain, a.k.a. Gregor Clegane. It does have a lot of that battle in it. Yes, the baiting. I love that. She runs Oathkeeper through this man, his axe falling, and she feels the helm against her, the hound's helm, rain falling down through his eye slits. Sapphires, she whispered at him as she gave her blade a hard twist that made him shudder. <sighs> Makes me shudder too. Of course, going back to Jamie's chapters, Jamie chuckled. There's a funny fool. I have a riddle for you, Shagwell. Why do you care if she screams? Oh, wait, I know. Sapphires! This is such a such a chilling passage. All of it. All of the end of this is so chilling. But Sapphires, this is not just the moment that they came across the poor fortune of meeting the companions in Jamie's chapters, but it's also the culmination of all of the violence, even the petty, quiet misogyny that has just been like rooted in Brienne's arc, pointed at her, especially by Rorge who there, in a storm of swords, stood over her, arguing who should get to rape her first, and then beating Jamie into submission, as well as stealing Cleos's surcoat and then committing crimes in that. If we're going to feel bad for Sandor's helm, may as well feel bad for Cleos's surcoat. And this isn't just from Rorge. Even these subtle digs at her, it- it's anyone. It's really anyone in her plot. Even the-, the town folk looking at her and giving her disgusted looks while she dared to try to protect them um, back a few chapters ago, right? It's very sad. All the voices in her head, they're always going to underestimate you. Go home, Brienne. Go home. Tarly. All of it coming together. If sapphires are all she's fucking worth, how do they feel right now, right? How do they fucking feel? Absolutely. It's such... It's such a good moment, because, like, I honestly forgot that Brienne had whispered sapphires before until this reread. And it's, like you said, so much is just packed into that one line. It's such a big fist pump moment. Like, it's kind of like feels like almost a salty reply, and yet it's perfect. It's worth it. And and as you said, right, it throws back all those rape threats that they levied against her. And just that one word and how small they made her feel. Right, that's not something that a lot of the other knights have to deal with. And, and as you've quoted, right, that word was for shouted by... Jamie, and here Brienne delivers it in a whisper. But as we know, Brienne's really just been positioning Jamie in their mind as this, like, I mean, Jamie's kind of a damsel in distress at times, right? But also, like, 
the patron that this quest is being done in the name of or dedicated to. And usually it is, I think, a woman in the knight errant stories. But for Brienne to like evoke those sapphires as they hold the magic sword that Ga- Jamie gifted them, it, it, it almost becomes like this magical incantation. And then at the same time, as Brienne's like considering, right, returning home to Tarth. And like, there's something to be said about that idea of home with those sapphires and Brienne instead choosing this and not the life that Hyle said that they could have back on Tarth. And so for Brienne to whisper sapphires tied to the the Isle of Tarth. I don't know. It, it's interesting. It's really loaded. Yeah, like going back to what sapphires meant in that moment that Jamie knew they would know that was what she was worth. Here's what yeah. I'm actually worth. And it's Oathkeeper, yeah. up your fucking guts, motherfuckers. <laughs> Bitches. Motherfuckers. Absolutely. And <sighs> yeah. There's something I almost kind of wonder, I don't know if it'll ever come up. Sapphires and yet rubies, you know, here at the Riverlands mm-hmm. and the Trident. That's it. That's all I have. So, no, yeah. And in her says. sword. And in oh, the sword. Yes, yes. So Sword, she shouted. She lets the man fall. But Biter is now crashing into her, lifting her, driving her into the ground. She feels her head snap on a rock and his weight drive her in the mud. Oathkeeper's gone. She slams her fist into his doughy face, uh, hitting him again and again. But he doesn't feel the blows. He just keeps crushing her, smothering her. He tears out her hair and she feels her dagger. She remembers her dagger in her side. So she takes it out to stab, slashing him across his belly, feeling the blood gush out. Ugh. So gross. And Biter's white flesh, right? They they call out how Biter looks. It's like having milk white flesh and all this stuff. Yeah, maggoty. And then also like the lack of response that he exhibits to like any of like what we would assume is the pain that Brienne is probably inflicting upon him by like hitting mm-hmm. him, stabbing, etc. Really reminds me of like the whites. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. There is a lot to that, especially, I mean, like we said earlier, talking about kind of the parallel of all the endings of the arcs being either fire and ice, mm-hmm. right? Uh, this makes the ending very much so ice. I mean, it was already half ice, let's be real, haha. <laughs> but it, it does make it very icy, mm-hmm. him being a white, a broken man. Yeah, amidst all these other, I guess, fire whites going on around here. <laughs> yeah. He smashes her in the face, and she feels bones crack, pain blinding her. He breaks her forearm, and he tries to tear her head off her shoulders. She hears a dog barking, men shouting, the the clash of steel behind her between the claps of thunder. Sir Hyle had joined the fight, but it all felt so far away, unimportant. Her chest burning, the storm blinding her. Bones grinding around her, she sees Biter's mouth open wide, yellow, pointed, crooked teeth closing down on her cheek. Brienne is, in this moment, also being pushed beneath, like, some of this water, and has these moments of feeling like drowning, right? And and it reminds me again of those ideas of death and rebirth, and especially because it's in the same book where we see Aaron Dampere, right, performing the Ironborn CPR baptisms. And of course, it comes up alongside a chapter, and by that I mean Brienne's next chapter, of someone who's being brought back to life by fire, just as, you know, 
And I feel like just as Brienne's first kill was very much this like coming of age moment and we, we tied it to some of these ideas of maidenhood, this is also another rite of passage for Brienne and is sort of like a baptism as well. Mm. Yeah. And, and like there's something in the way that as he's up against her, the language of how the helm is up against her, right? As she's fighting these men, Rorge's helm, the hound helm was like pressed into her skin mm. it's almost like like a molding of her becoming the broken man right in this chapter becoming the hound she's taking on the mm. hound she is the hound yeah. now and there's you're even the this moment now. here uh, you're the hound now you're you're a doggo you're the man uh, now but, dog <laughs> i mean even up to the scars right not only was the helm being pressed into her by Rorge, but now biter's giving her the scars to come back to like you were speaking about how he was kind of like gregor clegane in his fighting style He's given her Sandor's scars. He's pressed her face in the fire. Uh, and there's also something about this that's like, because there's seven of them that she's supposed to fight alone, and now you have Hyle joining in in the background, and, and dog barking, and men shouting, and probably Gendry. Uh, there's something to be said of this being a trial of seven, like Dunk's trial of seven, Right. Like, you even have a Baratheon, uh, a storm in it. Yes. This yes, is kind of do. Dunk's Trial of Seven being played out again. Just unfair and mean and awful. <laughs> Way more intense. Er. Way- yeah, even, I mean, well, it is seven The people. broken bones, the crunch of the cheek. It's like if no one came up- That's like Baylor. To support Dunk. <laughs> yeah. And- hey, Hyle just stood up. You know, oh. he's in there. He's fighting. I'll give him that. I will give him that. It's still, like, not an even number, you know, right? Like, didn't Dunk no. need, like, seven in order to even, like, enter the trial? Yeah. Brand's just yes. like, fuck it. We gotta do it live. Ah, uh, these poor lost children. Well, we close the chapter with, I cannot die yet, she told herself. There is something I still need to do. Biter's mouth tore free, full of blood and flesh. He spat, grinned, and sank his pointed teeth into her flesh again. This time he chewed and swallowed. He is eating me, she realized. But she had no strength left to fight him any longer. She felt as if she were floating above herself, watching the horror as if it were happening to some other woman, to some stupid girl who thought she was a knight. It will be finished soon she told herself. Then it will not matter if he eats me. Biter threw back his head and opened his mouth again, howling, and stuck his tongue out at her. It was sharply pointed, dripping blood longer than any tongue should be, sliding from his mouth out and out and out, red and wet and glistening. It made a hideous sight, obscene. His tongue is a foot long, Brienne thought just before the darkness took her. Why, it looks almost like a sword. Thanks for the tone shift on that one. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. I I was making a joke, but yeah, a little bit, yeah. Okay, I know she just got her face eaten, but let's just gloss over that for a moment. (laughs) Wow, the horror going on there. I was, like, actually physically feeling ill. Um... I love that the last word of this chapter is sword. Ah, a word. I want to bring that out. I think, um, so Jamie 
is really present in this chapter as you kind of brought up, right? We, we've been bringing it back to Jamie. Her plot and her arc is kind of coming back to Jamie and everything Jamie kind of told her in A Storm of Swords and all of that kind of coming true, but in a different way, all of the things happening to her and the, the many challenges that she's facing on the road. However, the last word of this chapter is sword, that his tongue almost looks like a sword. And at the end of Brienne's arc in Brienne 8, we have the very last Lines of the chapter, Brienne sucked the air in desperately, even as the rope was strangling her. Nothing had ever hurt so much. She screamed a word. According to Aso Spake Martin, that word now is known, and the word that she chose is sword, because of course, Stoneheart has asked her, you know, will you fucking kill Jamie? Are you going to keep fucking around? Or, you know, do you want to die? Right? Noose or sword, kid? Well, mm-hmm. Brienne screamed, sword. Now we must pit the lovers against themselves there. Uh, so I feel like it's interesting that that word is sword, but this is also, the last word of this is also sword. Yeah. Right? Two chapters in a row with sword. And Biter's tongue looking like a sword makes me think of the only other sword Brienne's really interested in besides Oathkeeper, which is Jamie's dick. Thank you. That's all. Same. Have a great day. The same thing, but it all, it does, I, I'm not even saying it, but the sexual, like, not only was, I mean, it's horror, so not only is it this grotesque, like, birthing of his tongue being a foot long as she's, like, in shock about yeah. to die, um, it we also has, like, sexual gross Keep tones, <laughs> you know, like, it is kind of like, I mean, it reminds me of, like, hentai tentacles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... A horror sexual thing. That is what it kind of comes out as. So it really does make me think of Jamie's dick here. Or like that scene in Seven that has never left me. Yeah. Uh, uh, God, uh, why did I think of that? All right. Uh, But, I mean, beyond Jamie's sword specifically, right? We have discussed (laughs) the connections between, like, phalluses and swords, right? They are tied together Mm -hmm. in literature. Yes. Okay. And and I think we're going to probably dig into this more next chapter, but, like, the, the connection you're drawing between, like, the tongue and the sword and, again, the phallus, um, we find out later on that this is Gendry's spear, actually, but Brienne missing, like, next chapter is, like, missing, uh, right, the sword, Oathkeeper, and dreams that their tongue is cut out, right? And here we see, like, the tongue and sword becoming one, and it kind of, like, reminds me of, it makes me think of, like, the silencing aspect of Brienne's storyline, especially next chapter, um, and this prioritization of male voices and how Brienne loses, I guess, that power and agency once Brienne doesn't have the sword. That's part of, like, why Brienne wants the sword so badly, right? It, it allows Brienne to move between what mm-hmm. Westeros' like, masculine and feminine spheres are. But it also ties into, I mean, when it comes to that silencing and losing the sword and, and again, voices, I mean, literally silence, literally silent Lady Stoneheart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, we'll probably talk about that more next time. With our friend by Donica. Yeah, with our friend by Donica. But I wanted to bring up one more thing. Again, this was Once Upon a Time, the same book as The Dance of Dragons. You said we weren't going to talk. We were in that moment glossing over briefly Brienne's face being eaten, but ties together very well with a lot of the other things we're seeing regarding cannibalism, etc. Oh, yeah. In the story popping up more. I didn't even think about that, but it is like he is eating her. He's cannibalizing her. And yeah. <laughs> in that same in that same do, 
it reminds me of Cersei, too. Of Cersei at the end of her arc in her walk of shame. And, like, her hair being taken from her and, like, her body being, you know, like, visibly having her body and parts of her body injured and stripped things yeah. stripped from her. Like, that's, like, this is, the, the eating of Brienne's cheek is a little different, but it reminds me of that, too. Like, of just, like, people pelting her with shit and, like, people degrading her body. Obviously, mm. it's not for as, I mean, not for the same purpose, not for saving children, <laughs> it's but the, the offering yeah. opposite but but that this that idea of body. like yeah these women's bodies being like just fucking degraded in their mission to do what they do brutalized Different i mean missions. that happened to lady stoneheart's body right yeah exactly it, like be naked for a long time and then they're like huh, this has been rotting here long enough let's throw it in the river <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, hell, she had the doughy skin too, right? Mm -hmm. The mottled, I mean, curdled skin. <laughs> even earlier in this chapter, right, we start with that imagery of human bodies being eaten, consumed yeah. by the wolves. So. And the crows. And the crows. All sorts of animals are out here eating people. Good for them, I guess. And not good for the people. <laughs> what an intense-ass, epic-ass motherfucking chapter. Brienne chapters are fucking good. They are I don't really care good. who they wants all go to together. fight me on that. They're so fucking good. You're like, no chance and no choice. You're getting no ready chance, to fight. No choice. Fucking fight me. If you don't agree with me that Brienne chapters are good, you're wrong, and that's, that's all right. That's fine. Is it fine? That's I don't good. know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll just <laughs> have to like them enough for the both of us. Yeah, and you can do that. I, I also will like them very much, so between the two of us, we can like them for the whole world. But obviously other people like Brienne's chapters. Between all of us, for our powers combined. Someone. Someone will be able to. <laughs> well, we'll be back to finish Brienne's chapters next month. It's gonna be out January 14th for public. Yeah, we'll be back in January. January 14th for public with Brienne's final chapter. Brienne 8, final published chapter. Can't wait. With our friend by Donica, who you have to check out online, who has some amazing art and some fun tweets. I always love reading her tweets, so mm -hmm. uh, check her out. Yes. And, of course, we are also kicking off the new year with our, our His Dark Materials episodes. Just a reminder that our next episode for the public will be a His Dark Materials episode with our guest, Cassidy. But... Between all that, you do get a bonus POV chapter on our Patreon. It's Patroclus in the Song of Achilles. <laughs> it's going to be all of them. <sighs> uh, until then, you can leave us an email, a tweet, a DM of note, uh, however you feel it, over at our social media, Girls Gone Canon, C A N O N, at Twitter, or you can pop us an email. Let us know how you're feeling about the episodes or the chapters or anything you've noticed recently in the books. Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, at gmail.com. Yes. And things can get hairy here at the end of the year. And if you want to make sure that you get our new episodes next year in 2022, be sure to subscribe to us on one of the many streaming platforms that we are on, such as Podbean, on where all of this is hosted. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher... Mm, I Heart Radio. That was good enough. 
You did great. I'm impressed. Another award. We started it with an award. Oh my God. Wow. Ended with an award. Wow. Wow. So grateful. So thankful. And yes, as Eliana said, we'll be putting out another bonus episode for patrons this year, 2021, on The Song of Achilles. If you're in the stranger tier and above, five bucks and up, you will have access to that. Uh, next year, we'll have a slew of new bonus episodes. We'll be back with some of Song of Ice and Fire bonus episodes on Patreon, Back to the Free Cities, and uh, some other exciting things that we'll let you know about then. So thanks for listening. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. See you next year. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, when you put it like that. Uh, Mary Brienne. Oh, yes, Mary. Oh, is that what Jamie's trying to do? Hmm. Oh, my God. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.